Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Please note, this podcast is not suitable for children. You're listening to Justice, a podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor. In this episode, Edwina talks to the artist and podcast producer Gary Mansfield. Gary discovered his passion for art while serving a 14-year prison sentence. He's the first to admit that art saved him from a life of future crime. His candid tales of crime and prison life and his honesty in sharing the importance of creativity for recovery makes for intriguing listening. Enjoy. My name's Gary Mansfield. I'm 51 years of age. I served a 14-year sentence from 1996 to 2003 for importation of drugs. While I was in there, I got into art, fell in love with art and... um, started a degree just before I was released in fine art. So how did you get into art in prison? Because I I don't think it's probably something that our listeners would be like, oh, right, you go to prison, you fall into a sort of art workshop. How how did that happen for you? Well, it was, I wanted to get into computers. Um, But you had to be, to, to jump the list, you had to be in the education department doing something to get on the list for for the course. And um, they, they did do, they'd done English maths, a hairdressing, but there was art as well. And I've never been into art, but I remembered at school that was the easy class where you could sort of have a little doss and a mess about and <laughs> it wasn't too serious. So I had a couple of friends in there as well. So I went in there. Um, the tutor, he was he was like, a, I've said this before, he was, he was a bit like a, a Basil Fawlty right. insofar as he was extremely sarcastic. Um, but he loved the cons he he wasn't too keen on the on the officers on the screens, right. um, and he was just a really really nice funny guy, um, and I, I started doing um, a, a drawing of, of this uh, a bowl a ball in a bowl which was part of this little coursework that you had to do, um, and it was awful and he just showed me a little few little techniques, and it just sort of worked and then he showed me a few techniques more when I was doing a portrait. And it looked like the person I was trying to draw. And then I thought, I found something here. I pushed the computers out of the way and just enrolled in the art class and just fell in love with it. And did you find, you know, because I imagine there's, you know, there's obviously the chaos of life on the wing and then there's sort of doing something rather lovely and 
creative was it escapism or was it like therapy for you because of course there's art therapy as well which we'll go into in sort of a bit more detail maybe later on in the pod but what was it for you like what did it it was it was a bit of escapism you know because you as soon as you walk in the art class I mean when I got into the point when I absolutely fell in love with it it was I mean it did I was obsessed with it it did sort of empower me altogether um but then, you, yeah, when you go back on the wing, I was on a drug-free wing, so it was a bit more mellow than, than the other wings. But um, it just changed everything about me at, at, at one point. You know, I, I just wanted to do art, and that was it. It calmed me down and just changed me as a person in the end. And what kinds of art do you do? What form of art do you do? Because um, I know you're on the board of the Kerslet Trust, aren't you? And their artwork is incredible from, you know, prisons all over the country. And I've been so fascinated uh, to see their stuff when you've got um, sort of castles built out of matchsticks. And then you've got sculptures made out of soap. And, you know, so many cool different things. Um, So what's your particular well at the time i mean it's it's gone it's changed immensely i wanted to do everything um traditional i wanted to learn how to paint draw and i wasn't allowed to sculpt i was in swell side category b so i wasn't allowed to do any sculpture we wasn't allowed the materials the tools um and you'd get halfway through it and the screws are coming to break it to see if there was anything inside you know mm. um it was just you know that's it, just how it was um but then it wasn't until, do you remember the Sensations show? It was very controversial. It had the Myra Hindley oh, painting yes, and yes, yes. Um, Tracy Emin's tent. Yeah. Well, one of the tutors bought that catalogue in and to show me. And I was like, well, anyone can do that. That's, that's crap, you know. And, and I, didn't, I didn't appreciate it. I didn't know it. And I just sort of poo-pooed it and pushed it out of the way. And, and they said to me, well, have a read of the catalogue and, um, you know, at least have a half-valid um, you know, slag it off if you want, but at least read about it first. Um, so I did. But there was a um, an artwork in there by Mona Hatoum, and it was a um, a metal colander, and it had all the holes um, filled with nuts and bolts. And um, on the back of this, it was a little postcard that was used as a bookmark. On the back of it, it had um, the explanation of the artwork that it was to do with Mona Hatoum had come to the UK to do a degree and while she was here there was a an uprising or a change of government at home she wasn't allowed back and that colander represented a sort of um, dome over her country and the nuts and bolts were blocking the entrances and exits and for whatever reason probably just because of where I was at the time that resonated with me Mm. and it sort of made me look at all the rest of the artwork in this book in a different light you know and that was it I had a first for it and there was nothing in the library um, to do with this conceptual art. Um, but in the back of the catalogue, there was a, um, a list of all the artists that had um, taken part and what galleries represented them. So I'd written to a couple of artists previously mm. and they'd replied. Um, so I thought, well, I'll try. And I wrote to about 30 of these artists, just asking any of them, for, or asking all of them, for a bit of um, information on them, their work and career. And uh, about a fortnight later, I get a parcel from, um, I don't know if you know, Sarah Lucas um, and Angus Fairhurst, who was her partner at the time. They sent me through a parcel, which I was amazed at. You know, I thought if I fish with a net and, you know, write to all of them, I might get one or two. Then the next day was Gavin Turk. And then just after that, over the next few weeks, I just ended up with dozens of parcels and letters from 
I think I wrote to about 32 artists and I think I got about 28 replies. And Amazing. Was, oh, it, was, it was, it was beautiful. That probably fueled your desire to be like, right, I'm on the right course here. Well, I think what that done at that point, when all of these artists wrote to me, because I was very conscious, because a lot of them I was writing to were women, and they had no idea yeah, whether I was... some dude from prison yeah, who's trying to contact exactly. me what's going on. I mean, on how here. crazy is that? And they have to put their address on for it to get to me, you know, for, well, for me to be allowed to have it. So they've got to put their address on there as well. It's, it's a very trusting thing they've done. Mm. And I, I did end all of them um, just by saying, if it's any consolation, my offence was neither um, violent or sexual. Not that, you know, not that they'd know, you know, it's only just a bit of ink I've put on the, on the bottom of a letter. But, yeah, they all, all wrote to me, and I've been friends with a lot of them ever since. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and, and they were like a substitute crime gang, if you like. You know what I mean? Because although I was, set up, I was set up by a drugs gang, and although I was, I, I was still a criminal all my life, um, or, you know, all my adult life up until that point, but I, I know I wanted to get away from it once I got into art. And I, I didn't think I could be accepted into art, because I just... The, the artists that I, I had in my head were all sort of middle class. The only people who I saw like me would be maybe cartoonists or, you know, something like that. And, mm. and it wasn't until I saw um, an artist called Ray Richardson on the telly and I saw his work before I heard him speak and I really liked his artwork. He was very London, very 1950s, um, like, like something out of a gangster movie, you know. And uh, even though there was nothing gangster-like in it, it just had that air about it, and I thought, oh, I like that. And then he started talking, and he was from um, Woolwich in South London. And I was like, fucking hell, he's, he speaks like I do, you know? Yeah. Um, and he was a successful artist, and I've gone, that's it, I can do it. Yeah. If he's done it, then I can do it. And he's, you know, he's one of my closest friends now. Yeah. You mentioned something um, on your website about identity and shattered identities, and I was interested to explore... Um, you know, what your art does for your identity and what you feel your identity was before and what it is now and how art played a role to maybe change it? I, I definitely was a completely different person before. From what age would you say? I was roughly? probably 28. Okay. That's when I got my... I'd give myself a goal that I would do the best I could for this art course. If okay. I got it, I'd turn my back on my previous life and I'd start a new one to do with art and getting a degree and that sort of thing yeah. and when it come back that I got the mark or I smashed the marks that I, I hoped to get that's it I turned my back on that day and, and that's the, the difference of identity I've got I've got like a it feels like I've got a parallel life all the time because um, when something um, happens that's quite stressful you know I had an argument in a shop once when my kids were there because there was someone being uh, racist and abusive to the people in the shop so I've sort of intervened and my first train of thought was how I used to act because I you know, come from a violent background but then I quickly sort of snap out of that and go yeah, into the more yeah. yeah so uh, uh, as much as I say I've changed as a person he's in me and, yeah. and I call him Roy Maynard Right. Because that's the name I used to book into um, hotels and like, if I got pulled up by the police, I'd say my name was Roy Maynard. Um, it, and it come from uh, the Maynard's wine gums. Okay. But yeah, I was always Roy Maynard. So the only way I could separate these two people where I had this clash of identity, and it's only been over about the last maybe four four years when I've sort of separated my two lives. And because I started feeling guilty about stuff 
I'd done in the past. It was sort of holding me back going forward, you know. My past was holding me back. And the only way I could sort of deal with that, you know, I didn't go to see anyone, but the only way I could deal with it was to excuse it how you would um, when you're talking about childhood mistakes. Because, you know, up until you're 16 or 18, most of the things you do then you can excuse for being ignorant or, you know, not knowing better. Um, I extended that up to when I was sort of 26, 27, 28, so that in my head now I say that anything I'd done before then wasn't Gary Mansfield, that was Roy, Roy Maynard. Just not, not to, to give myself an excuse for it or to lower whatever it was I'd done, um, but just to say I'm, I'm not that person. Now I shouldn't have to apologise for what mm. he done, if you know what I mean, you know. But you feel there'll always be a bit of Roy that needs to be controlled in there and yeah, your triggers. Oh, and I said to like... someone a little while ago, I said it's as if um, Roy Maynard is in a cage inside and yeah. Gary Mansfield holds the key, you know. And what age were you, um, if you don't mind me asking, where you sort of felt that things were sort of, you were going down a rocky path? Was it early childhood or was it... Well, I got arrested when I was 13, first of all. I would like to say that, you know, I got in with a bad crowd, but I just enjoyed being around the trouble lads you know yeah because I was going to say out of interest at 13 when you were arrested did it scare you or were you like this quite exciting I was alright until my mum turned up right. you know I was all tough until then you yeah. know you know, it was different days back then she didn't just tell me off and put in a naughty spot and I did think oh, I'm not going to do that again but you know when, when we'd go and play out the, the sort of playing football didn't have the excitement of breaking windows and of old factories you know going into old warehouses and mm. yeah that was just more fun and then that just progressed and progressed to what sort of things like um well i was i was selling fake clothing mainly like as, yeah. a, as a young lad and i just saw my friends going to work and at the time they was earning like maybe 110 pound a week and i was doing more than that by not doing anything you know yeah and I was just thinking, like, and, and they're giving 25% of it to the government as well, you know. But, you know, now I'm 51, they've all paid off their mortgages and I haven't, you know. And yeah. I've not even got a mortgage, you know, or, as in I'm in council accommodation because, you know, it, it did prove to be not the right path, you know. You said your sentence was importing drugs or Drug you were set up by yeah. a gang. Yeah. Do you mind explaining a bit more about, about that? No, I was, as I say, I was into the fake clothing um i'd started getting you know i used to get the clothing i used to get one lot of clothing off of one person and after shaves and watches off of another and you know how it, how it is well you probably don't know how it is but, <laughs> but either way that's, yeah you get it from you know like a shop would get you know source their goods from different places um and this one guy i'd been using for three or four months um mainly because he was local few people had sort of spoke down about him but i'd never experienced any of that um, and I was going to Liverpool one afternoon to visit some friends to sort of have a weekend up there. Um, and he just asked if I'd drop some stuff off for him in Birmingham on my way. And it was, I'd seen them before. It was like reams, like rolls of um, labels. I'd seen the, the Lacoste ones before. And they used to come on a big roll and you'd sort of take them off. Or, or I don't know how it works, but they used to be on these big, big rolls. About the size how you imagine... Um, a f uh, an old film cassette you know in, in a movie camera sort of maybe 14 16 inches round and I'd seen them before um so I said yeah he's given me a couple of hundred quid it'd pay for me at least me petrol up there and, and a bit of me weekend picked up the bags put them in my car 
And as I was reversing out of the parking space, it, it was in a lorry park in, in Essex. All sounds very dubious anyway. But I was reversing out of the parking space, and as I'm looking out my rear view window, my doors swung open, and I've got a policeman dragging me out of the car. Um, I've stood up, and then I've seen guns and um, you know, armed police, loads of police everywhere, there's sirens going, it was all noise, and, and it was just like in a film. It sort of went quiet for a moment, there was all this chaos, and, and I had my hands up in the air, and then another policeman has come and kicked my left foot away. And I've gone down and hit my chin on the roof of the car, and I remember spinning around instinctively, like pulling my hand back, and he's standing there pointing a, a gun at me, and then there was another policeman going, go on, go on. And then I thought, oh my God, they want me to sort of... Well, I, no, I didn't. On reflection, I'm thinking, oh, they wanted me to sort of react, you know. Um, but they was, they was so like aggressive with me. Even the woman that turned out to be a customs officer even jumped in between us and said to the policeman, he's complying, he's complying. Or words to that effect, you know. I was, As I say, I was a little bit sort of deaf to what was going on. Then I sat in the back of the car and I'm just thinking like, this is so over the top for a bit of club, for a bit of clothing. You yeah, because you're thinking, well, yeah, I've got a bit of, you know, fake clothing going on. Yeah. Here, but like, it's a bit heavy handed. And then they've pulled the bags out and I've seen the, all the guys from the lorry, it was like a calf, a, a truck stop place. All the guys had come out. The guy I'd just met was just looking at me and his eyes were like saucepans, you know. Um, the guy I'd just, who I'd got out of his car, um, because one guy's give me the bags out of his car. I've seen him just walking away. Quite quickly. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I was thinking, because of the world I was living in, I was thinking, yeah, go on, get away, get away. Yeah. Um, it's pointless. I'm nicked. What's the point of anyone else getting nicked? You know, they're not going to divide up the sentence between yeah. us, you know. So in my head, I was going, oh, yeah, go on, get away. Um, and then they've just, they've opened up the bags and they've, there were square packages in there, in like brown parcel tape. And I did think, oh, that's a bit odd for them to be putting the, the labels in squares. I'd only ever seen them in these round things before. But I didn't think anything of it. And it wasn't until I got to the police station and the um, arresting officer, the customs officer, she said to the desk sergeant, this is Gary Mansfield, he's being arrested on, the, on suspicion of importation of Class A drugs, namely diamorphine. And I, had, I wasn't into drugs. I'd been around the club scene since it started I'd never had an ecstasy pill drugs weren't, weren't mm. for me you know and when she said diamorphine I figured it was something that they'd have in hospitals mm. so I thought maybe they've nicked some stuff out of a hospital and so I, t- I just went what's diamorphine and she looked around at me and she even said to the desk sergeant he doesn't know and I went what's fucking diamorphine and she went it's heroin just as she said that the guy that I'd got it off, or who had, who was the in-between through me and the guy I got it off, he'd been arrested as well, and he come walking in. And I just I saw him, and I just went, heroin? Fucking heroin. And I like, walked towards him, and I've, I've mentioned this to a few people as well. It was as if I was walking through a... You know if you're in a swimming pool, like, messing about, and you're trying to run away from someone, and you've got that resistance against yeah. your body? I was trying to get to him, and I, it was like that resistance. I couldn't get there quick enough. And it wasn't until I'd been brought to the floor that I realised I had, like, two or three officers, one around my leg, one around my waist, trying to stop me getting there, you know? Mm. So how much was it? You got a 14-year sentence, which it is was, a big one. It was um, 
40 kilos right. of Class A drugs. Um, luckily, it was it was shit. So it ended up going down to, I think it was 24 kilos right. once they took the impurities Right, because they just been cut, yeah. Yeah, because they when, when, when they get um, Class A drugs, they have to analyse it to see how much of it is actually drugs. Because although it was 40 kilos, yeah. it might have been Certain 20 kilos of, of I don't know, whatever they added to it. Yeah. You know, brown sugar, I have no idea. But um, yeah, it turned out to be 24 or 22 kilos. Um, and the minimum I could get was 14 years. So I got the minimum. And the other guy? The other guy that was arrested, that I was on about, he got found not guilty. All right. It was the guy who I got it out of the boot of his car who I'd never met before. He got 15. Right. He was a coach driver and brought it over. And then you served the whole 14 years inside? No, seven, seven. And how many years into your sentence did you say you discovered the art? Um, well, I'd done a year on remand... Um, then a little bit of allocation, maybe 18 months. And did you find that when you started doing the artwork that your behaviour sort of mellowed and you changed? I mean, obviously you changed. Yeah, well, I started questioning... How, how did your behaviour change, if at Once all? I got into the art, and it did it did mellow me, it, it, this is like long before that point that I was talking about, that was like maybe a year after this, I did start questioning me and people around me. It might have even been the environment that I was in, um, like being in prison. And I was just looking at people, and it wasn't until there was like a a gangster in there, like, you know, a well-known figure that I knew was in there, and he asked me to do something once, and I knew him from outside. I saw him on the exercise yard, and he went, Gary, he said, there's a so-and-so on your wing as, you know, like, owes me something, can you go and sort him out for us? And then I just went... And, and, I, and I, for a while I've been saying, I don't want to be a part of this, I want, to, I want to change, you know. And I just went, no, I don't want to be a part of that. He went, really? And I, I said, yeah. I'd, I, I said, and, and a few people, I'd said to a few people that I wanted to make this change, and he just went, all right then, and it was from then. So I had a couple of months of, of looking at myself in the mirror, sometimes literally, trying to sort of see what I didn't like about myself, see what I did, put aside the stuff that I did and sort of try and work on the bits that I didn't and uh it sort of worked amazing do you think that you know obviously we're all shaped by our childhoods and sort of what's gone before but do you feel that you know going forward your art is going to be a sort of a reflection on your past and kind of yeah well I want to bring Roy into it as well you know because I wouldn't have got here without without him yeah? yeah so I'm planning to um to do these very nice precise um, text made out of barbed wire um, above, and then underneath there's going to be sort of rants from from Roy. You know when you when you see the vacancies sign, and in the background you can see no, although it isn't on. Yeah. You know it's there. Yeah. That's I like the the idea of that change of, of like positive to negative, just at the flick of a switch. Um, I like the idea of having something positive being Gary Mansfield's point of view and then in the background the negative thing so a flick of a switch like a lot of politicians at the moment or probably forever you know at the flick of a switch they'll go to a different sort of angle you know that's what I that's what I like the old Mm. Roy saying one thing and me saying another and me going with or hopefully going with what Gary's thinking. Yeah. How do you feel about arts and the creative world in general in prisons? Do you feel that it should be part of every wing, every prison? Oh, man, it should be part of everything. I mean, it's it's easy for me to say because I'm 
I'm an artist. I'm involved with the Kersler now, but, but even before I was involved with the Kersler, I'd, when I was going into the prisons, I'd say to people, like, just do anything creative. It doesn't matter if you just read, if you just scribble on the wall, something that just makes your mind tick over rather than sit there, reflect on all the shit that you've done in the past mm. or what's about to happen to you or what happened to you yesterday, what's going to happen tomorrow when you get out. It is a little bit of escapism, but all the time when your mind is ticking over, you know, it's, and I'm sure that, you know, I mean, I put a lot of work into changing and I'm, I'm sure that it can just sort of grab onto people. I saw it as like an addiction because you do need to want to make the change. You do have to sort of get out of that whole environment. You know, if you're an alcoholic, you, you can't go into pubs and off licenses. It's like, you know, when I wanted to give up crime, I didn't. I, I told everyone that I just didn't want to be part of it anymore. Did you find it easy to walk away? Because I know a lot of people really struggle with that. Yeah, I, my love for the art was more than the right. love for so the crime. So you needed to replace... When the artists wrote to me, mm. they were the substitute criminals, if you like. You're listening to Justice with Edwina Grosvenor. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Just explain to the listeners the Kersler Trust and what it does. Well, it's a, a charity that was um, started by Arthur Kersler, and he wanted to bring the arts into prison. And each year they have a, an exhibition at the Royal Festival Hall. Yeah, which is brilliant. And they have... Um, I, I mean, I, I haven't been up to the house, the, the headquarters yet, but it is... Plus, I've never seen so many artworks. Is that the house, the old governor's house outside yes, Wormwood Scrubs? it is. Walls are plastered with art. This is before the show. And there's just yeah. it's piled Three up floors, everywhere. every it's room, amazing. yeah. Um, but they put on a, a show each year. Um, the art is for sale. Um, the, artist get, the artist or inmate gets half of the money uh, from the sale. The other half go to victims of crime and it... 
maybe Kersler as well. And the, and the artworks come from almost every prison around the country, don't they? Secure yeah. hospitals. I'm particularly interested. Probation in, service. Yeah, a lot of the stuff that comes out of the secure hospitals is, you know, it can be really dark some mm. of the stuff. But again, just amazing to spend time looking at these pieces of art and thinking, mean, getting an insight into people's minds and brains. I and, do say to other artists that I know, just have the day off, come out your studio. Go down there while it's on because you will never feel as much power in walking around that gallery. It, it, the artworks literally shout at you, you know. Yeah, and actually there'll be an exhibition coming up. Um, I Nin- don't know what month it's 19th in. 19th of September. Okay, 19th of September. Festival, yeah. yeah, and it's free, isn't it? It's, it's free, free entry. It's, I, I don't know how long it's It's normally about six weeks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, really although I'm a member of the board, I'm a bit vague <laughs> because I've, I've just been made member of the board. But I went to one meeting to get... Um, I don't know what you'd call it to, to join. You know, they'd done a vote and accepted me on, and that was my that was my day. So yeah, have you done any work going back into prisons and trying to help other people find the sort of gift I of did, art? I did. Yeah, I've like? done it. I've done it sort of off my own back. Um, when I was um, at my last year at university, I wanted to make an artwork out of a, a bunk bed. Um, and I sort of looked on... Inspired by prison bunks? Or not? Yeah, well, it was, it was prison bunk that I wanted. Okay. I wanted, to, um, I wanted to, to brick up the bottom bunk. Um, and it was looking at depression, um, the people in prison who just do the whole sentence, just laying on their bed, whether it be through depression or whatever. They just decide they're not doing any work. They'll just lay on their bed. I wanted to call it positive space, negative space. And it was a, a play on the words... Um, and I, I looked on eBay for one of these beds, a metal bunk bed, couldn't find one. So I just phoned up Chelmsford Prison, which is where I first went on remand. Can I have a bed, please? Yeah, well, pretty much. Have you got a bed for the night? I, I emailed them, rather, um, and I said that I'd contacted um, the prison service, which I hadn't. I said I'd contacted the prison service um, to ask if I could have an old bed, um, they told me to. They asked where I lived and uh, recommended I contact Chelmsford Prison. Um, that they may have a yard where they keep the broken beds. I knew that there was a place where they kept all the broken beds, you know, for sort of spares and that. Um, and you may be able to help me. So they said yes. And then I sort of went back to my first prison, where you know where I'd gone, and I was going in like this other entrance and putting my phone and my keys over and walking through. And, you know, I've just finished, as I say, a 14-year sentence and people are shouting out the windows to try and sort of intimidate me. And the guy who was a gaffer, a a works um, officer, um, you know, he just thought I was this student from from London. He said, uh, don't be intimidated by them, mate. I went, oh, I'll I'll try not to. I'll do my best. (laughs) Just as we were sort of, like, he was saying, oh, you can have that bit of the top bunk and this bit of the bottom bunk, you know. And as we sort of got them together, and he was getting one of the cons to sort of get a barrow to put them on, one of the officers that knew me, he's walked across the yard and just see me looking over, and he stopped, I saw his eyes open, his mouth literally opened, and he just looked at me and staring, I just gave him a little wave as I was walking out with his bunk bed, you know. But it was from then that I thought about the art class. I thought maybe I could come back here and do something. So I contacted them later to thank them for the bed and said, um, I'm just about to finish my degree. I'm about to start a master's. But in between that, um, maybe I could pop in to do an art 
workshop with the guys. So they come back and said, yeah, brilliant. It was a bit hard first because I didn't really know how to to handle it. I remember how we used to view people who used to come in and give us talk where everyone was a do-gooder and you didn't yeah, really yeah, want yeah. anything to do with them. You know, I had people talking to me, how I used to talk to people, first of all, when I was in there. So the minute I sort of let Roy out for a moment, you know, and just <laughs> told them to sit down, shut up on me of, off yeah. my own back to help use, you know, um, don't take the piss out of me sort of thing. Yeah. Once they saw that I was one of them and they sort of let their guard down a bit, you know, and I got so much out of it. You know, they enjoyed it. Mm. I was getting something out of it and the guys were getting something out of it, or I thought. Um, and it wasn't until I went into um, ISIS... Um, the prison, not the, not yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. yeah, which is a youth. I think it's still a youth offenders institute. Yeah, it was. Well, I heard last time I went there, I heard it was just being merged into the adult and the youth were being okay. merged together. But it's next to um, next to Belmarsh in, in South East London, and it was a um, yeah youth prison, and it was the first time I'd worked with the youths, and they was a completely different bunch of people. They first of all they was more cocky and arrogant and sort of outspoken than the adults um but then after a while when I was telling them about my story and how I was being quite open like they was asking me really they was asking me different questions to what the adults were and they was really showing their vulnerability and 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 some of them were sort of like gang kids you know what I mean who, who were being a right pain in the arse to start with but in the end, they was properly opening up and saying about how they was afraid of... Uh, like, and they were telling me this personally, not in, as a group, you know, but they was showing their vulnerability and, and about how scared they were at the sentence they might be getting. And they was asking me different questions to what the adults did. And, you know, they was asking me um, about how big the light at the end of the tunnel was when I first got sentenced compared to, sort of, you know, when did it start getting brighter... And just the way they were speaking, you know, they were mm. speaking a lot different to the adults. And it affected me a lot. Because um, I just... Oh, maybe it's because I've got children as well. You know, maybe I saw, like, my own boy sat there, you know. But it just made me feel a little bit sick inside. And when I left there, I mean, I come out and I sat in the car park for about... Well, it felt like about 15, 20 minutes. It might have just been five minutes. But I was just sitting there and I was just going... And I was just trying to analyse the feelings that I was feeling and, mm. and try and deal with it. And, and I couldn't. And I, I didn't really know how to work with it. And so I hadn't, I hadn't been back in there since because it, it just had a, a, too much of an adverse effect on me. I mean, another thing that got me as well, which took me a long time to dissect, is when I went to Chelmsford on the last time, the, the people who run the prison, uh, the people who run the education, it had gone from one college to another and, and they didn't, I felt like they didn't want me in there and they asked if I was alright working with VPs, like when I got there. Vulnerable prisoners. Well, I didn't know, I just oh, knew right. them as 43s right. when, when I was okay. in there, as like rule 43, so I've got there and she was being really arsy with me and she had been on all the emails and um, when the cons the first group of cons come in the morning they've shut off she went and this is when she went um yeah this class is going now do you want to work with the vps over lunch so i said yeah i thought that might be the tutors or something you know and i'm sitting there i'm looking out the window into the yard in chelmsford which i was familiar with 
And the only bit I could see was where the forty threes were, which which was mainly sex offenders and and um, informers and whatnot. And I've looked over there, and then I've just seen the door open, and they've walked out. And although I've changed, I still had the same opinion that I'd always had of sex offenders and people on that wing. And I've looked at them, and they've just started walking over to the education block with a screw at the front and a screw at the back, and there's a line of nine or ten guys wearing blue T-shirts. And as they're walking over, I just went, fucking LVP, vulnerable people, vulnerable prisoners. And I've gone, fuck, fuck, I'm going to be... And Roy, I'm I'm distancing myself here, when Roy was in there, he'd bashed up a few sex offenders. A sex offender got put in a cell with him and... It, it, it wasn't well. nice but that was Roy um, and I've, I've gone shit what am I going to do here and as they're coming I can hear them downstairs I'm going Fuck, I want to get out of here I, I didn't know how to how to do it and I've got this poxy portfolio that I've taken with all these pictures of my work that I've, I've just been preparing to, to show to what I presumed was going to be the tutors and I'm, I'm panicky I'm getting a bit shaky and then the doors come in and these people have come walking in and it's, it's like this table we're sitting at here. I'm at the end of the table and I've got these vulnerable prisoners sitting around me and I thought, I can't make contact. I can't make eye contact with them. And one of them's asked me something and I just ignored him. I've got the artwork on the floor, uh, sorry, on the desk that me and the other cons have been working on. So it's sort of like three quarters finished. And they're asking me questions about this artwork and I'm just blanking them and trying to sort of see how I can get out of this situation. And then the the tutor has stood at the end of the table and I swear that she, she knew she'd set me up because she just looked at me, arms crossed, with an awful smug look on her face and went, carry on. And I was like, so I was just, I was talking and then there was a lot of racket downstairs and this guy walked in who was my fucking saviour. He was a really trappy, leery, young lad. He walks in and <laughs> he's just, the door opened. He was, I heard him swearing at the screw outside to open the door. He's walked in and he just walked in. He went, all right, nonces. <laughs> it turns out he was on the wing for owing money and he'd gone on onto the vulnerable prisoner's wing. He has to live with them and that's how he deals with it. And as he's walked in, I thought, well, at least I've got someone that I know isn't a sex offender. I can look into their eye and talk to him while I'm giving this talk. But there was this one guy sitting over onto my left who was about the same age as me. And at the end of my speech, when I was looking around, I got a bit of confidence to look around to try and figure out who was and who wasn't a sex offender. This guy sitting here, he was just in a a bit of a daydream, you know. Um, And I went... You right there, mate? Like I went, you right there, mate, at the end? And he said, like whoever this guy was, he's, uh, the, the loud guy, he went, oh, fucking leave him alone. He said, he's just started, he's 14. And he went to me, he said, you know, you said you was doing 14 years. He said, did it fly by? He said, because I've just started mine. It was like literally a, a, a week or so before. And he just looked in a proper lost space. You know, he was... He looked like he was on the... You know, I've seen... As I, as I said earlier, I've seen a few people who were on the brink of doing something silly to themselves, and he had that look in his eye, you know? And I went... I said, I said mate, like, 
look, I said, you do the first little bit. I said, that, the first bit's hard. I said, but then once you've done a year, I said, that's one section out of the way. I said, then before you know it, you've done three and a half years, which is half of your sentence or, you know, half of the bit you've got to stay in. I, I, and I was going to, and I could see that he was slipping away in his in his mind, you know. And I was going, but just do something creative while you're in, just to keep your mind going. And he, he was so depressed, you know. And it, he had, the, the, the loud guy ended up saying that he was a sex offender. And I was going, well, just fucking leave him alone. You know, because he was having a pop at him, you know. And, I was, and he was in a bad place. So I was going, just leave him alone. He went, why are you sticking up for a fucking nonce? I went, look at him, mate. I said, he's, you know, he, he could do something silly. And he's going, well, fuck him, let him do it. And then when we finished this little workshop, he got up and shook me by, or put his hand out and said, thank you for that, mate. That's, that's helped me out a bit. And then I shook his hand. And then I went downstairs then, and for about, I don't know how many months, I was having a conflict inside because when they first come in, I felt like a fox in a chicken hut. You know, I mm. thought, I could, I could fucking do all of these. Like, this is Roy talking. I thought, if I jump over this table, before that screw gets to me, I could do at least three of these. And then the other bit of me is going, no, I've come into this prison to try and make a change. If I can make a change to a sex offender, who I see as the worst, right or wrong, you know, I see that as the worst type of person in the community, obviously other than murderers. If one of them changes, or if I can change one of them, fucking hell, that's the equivalent mm, of 50 quite, burglars, quite you know powerful. what I mean? Yeah. And um, But I had that conflict for months. And I even said to friends, and I asked my art friends, who are all sort of liberal, and most of them went, no, you've done the right thing. But then I asked a few of my friends who I know from my old life, and they was all going, no, oh, fuck them. But then again, the odd one or two said, no, you've done the right thing there. And I had this conflict looking at my kids, thinking about, you know, how I've always believed sex offenders were, and then I've shaken one's hand and I've even stuck up for him. And I think this is why it's so difficult when it comes to the debate about prisons and what to do with prisoners. It's like you've got anyone from a sex offender to someone who hasn't paid their TV licence. Yeah. Everyone gets lumped in together. But it's kind of like, you know, it's always challenging your kind of inner soul, mm. isn't it? And that's what I find so amazing about doing this work is that you're constantly being challenged on these really yeah. difficult topics. Um, and, you know we don't lock people up and throw away the key or well, the majority of people will be getting out. Um, and it's like, well, if they come out, we want them to be better than when they went in. Yeah. And that means we have to do stuff with people and we have to access their humanity. And, you know, we kind of have to see it as difficult as it is. You're listening to Justice with Edwina Grosvenor. So if Gary could go back in time and talk to Roy... What would the advice that you, Gary, now would give to Roy? See, I wouldn't be the person I am without him. So I would have just let things pan out. Yeah. But taking art out of, out of this, just saying no, just saying no to people, because I was always trying to please. You know, someone said, oh, should we go and do this, should we go and do that? And a lot of time I didn't want to do things. And I'd go, oh, yeah, just to sort of be part of the gang or not to make myself look a bit sort of weak or whatever, you know. Because, you know, sometimes you, you might not want to with peer pressure or, or whatever, or even yeah. suffer the consequences of saying no. Yeah. And like I said, when I was in, in jail and the, like the, the gangster said, you know, would you better take care of this for me? I knew there'd be consequences and I just said, no, you're all right. I didn't sort of 
you know, make a big deal of it. I just, no, I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for oh, thank coming you for your time. Thank you so much. Oh, you're more than welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Justice. If you like our podcast, please rate it and please also share it with your friends. We'd like to get to a wide audience. And if you want to hear more about the work of One Small Thing, then please visit our website at www.onesmallthing.org.uk. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.